Good morning again. My name is Josh. I'm part of the ministry team here at the Springs. Uh, Pastor Peter is in, I believe, Portland, right? Uh, preaching and doing ministry things. Man, our guy's international. That's not international, but, you know, he's big time. He's big time. He's going other places and preaching out of state. That's across the country. That's not like when you go to Dallas, you know. When you go to Dallas, it's one thing. When you go to Portland, right, that's another thing. That's big time. So he's out there preaching out of a family, like a sister church in the Every Nation family out in Portland. He's doing awesome. So we, we pray for him. Uh, being that they're on that West Coast time, they're not going to start it for a little bit, but, you know, pray for him in advance of that. This week, uh, here at home, you guys get to hear me, good or bad, you get to hear me. Uh, you get to hear me blab my gums, and that, that usually lasts for a while. So, And, uh, and today, specifically, I'm going to blab my gums about our second week of our four-week series, Hark. It's our Christmas series, and what we're really doing is kind of evaluating and taking a look at the, the lives of those that surround the first Christmas. Uh, and so as we move forward today, we're going to specifically take a look at the life of Mary today. And uh, Mary is a very misunderstood character, I think, misunderstood person in the, in the Christian faith, right? There's a lot of different interpretations of who she is, what she does, uh, who she may remain to be. Today is probably not going to be the day we dive into all of those, just being frank with you. But today is a day when we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to evaluate Mary's life according to what we see here. Uh, And from there, we're going to develop uh, specifically the word favor and what it meant in her life and what it means in our life. Okay, now specifically, I think that's a unique and, and good word to consider today because we are in the Christmas season, right? We're in a hark thing. We're singing Noel. We're singing Joy to the World. There's lights everywhere. And what without doubt accompanies this Christmas season is that you are turning on your TV. You're listening to your radio. All these things are happening. And someone's like, this week at Diamonds Direct, right? Like that's what you're getting right now, right? Lexus dealers of Austin, right? This kind of thing is what you're constantly getting bombarded by. Toys R Us, diamonds, cars, right? And this super unrealistic expectation where someone walks out and has like the big bow on a car and it's like exactly what they wanted because no one considered that $10,000 came out of the account like a week before that. No one noticed that, but everyone was super surprised with the Lexus in the driveway. Anyway, that's my beef. That's way off topic. But anyway, getting back, getting back in. Um, and as we really stop to consider favor during this time of the year, what, those are the things that are really going to flood our mind. Uh, a lot of us are going to get swept in this materialistic kind of vibe that goes on right now during the season, and we're going to start thinking about money, start thinking about blessings, start thinking about um, um, cars, presents. And even on a secondary level, if you're not swept up into the materialistic aspect, you're going to probably look at things like the Hallmark Channel or something else and go, man, I am favored this year because my family's all together. We don't got no strife. There ain't no beef at the family union, you know, like no one's tripping over anybody else. We're all just together. We love each other. That's all good. And that's all great. There's nothing wrong with really any of those things. But it's important that we really consider what the Bible says about favor. And it's funny that right now in a season where we celebrate Jesus, the actuality of what happens is that our culture uses this season to make us believe something about favor that the Bible doesn't teach. And so really the main point I want to get down and over to you today is how we define favor and where we derive it from ultimately will dictate how we experience this thing called favor. That's really what will happen in the course of our day, in the course of our next upcoming seasons, individually. Now, 
we're specifically, as I mentioned, going to look at this through the lens of Mary. So we're going to go to Luke 1. We're going to read that together. It's going to be Luke 1, verse 26. And if you uh, would stand in honor of God's word with me this morning as we read, and then we're going to pray as we're sitting down. But we're going to read together, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and, we, and he and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked, how can this be since I have had no sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. As you're being seated, uh, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, you have come into the, the earth. And you have, in fact, come into the earth in order to give and deliver us favor. I ask that you would be present here, that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds to receive exactly what you would have for us. And that uh, we would join in a celebration of heaven and earth at your glory and your splendor. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... Our text today uh, is about Mary, and it really highlights Mary's humble beginnings. But I want to give a preface before we get deeper into this. I I would venture to say, being that this is the gospel of Matthew, the gospel meaning the the good news or, or that he's telling the story of Jesus, Mary's probably not the main point of what's happening here, okay? Mary's probably not the main point. Jesus is the main point. I mean, we could go through this and literally take like five weeks going through what this says about Jesus. We go through this like six months and figure out what this is saying about Jesus. And I am going to have to restrain with all of my might from telling you all the wonderful things this text says about Jesus. Today, though, we are going to focus on what I would probably describe as the secondary topic of this text, which is Mary. And that's not a bad thing today necessarily because we can learn a lot about God, a lot about Jesus through the lens of Mary. Okay, so when we look at Mary's life, from what we gathered in this you know, little bit that we've actually read, we learn a few things. One, Mary is from a little, count, little town called Nazareth. Okay, little town called Nazareth. She's a young woman. She's never been married before. And being that she's young and married, she was also faithful to God in, in terms of the, the requirements that, that God has put on uh, his children in, 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 in our lives. And so she's a virgin as well. She's never been with a man. Now, in that same vein, she's also betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Now, that word engaged at root in our text is actually the word betrothed, and that's much more than just like being engaged. 
right? Even in our culture, when someone's engaged, we'll be like, well, you ain't married yet. That's not how this went down, all right? Betrothed in the Old Testament, not the same deal, all right? When you were betrothed, you actually started marriage, but you started it from being engaged. So literally, you weren't married, you didn't live in the same house, you were preparing for marriage, but you were legally already married. In fact, when you were betrothed or engaged in this context, you had to get divorced to separate. So she was basically married to Joseph already, but in the engagement portion of their marriage. So that's one thing that's going on in Mary's life. Uh, Another thing, they were more than likely poor. When we look later in Luke, uh, Mary and Joseph actually bring Jesus to be presented and circumcised. And in the Old Testament, the Lord gives specific uh, sacrifices that are honorable and pleasant and approved. But the lowest, they're, they're kind of tiered for individuals that have the financial means to produce one or the other. There's like a lamb, but the lowest of the tier is, in fact, two turtle doves. And that was representative of a person that didn't have the means to produce any other sacrifice. And so from that, we learned that Mary... And Joseph were probably of lesser means. They were lower class financially. Now, the last thing that we kind of get to hear from this is that she's faithful to God. Mary is, in fact, faithful to God. She's obedient. She loves the Lord. Now, if I'm being honest, though, she is obedient. She does love the Lord. She has uh, uh, been faithful to him. But even in that regard, combined with her other characteristics, she's not necessarily drastically unique in the story of Israel. She's not necessarily someone that we're looking at and going, okay, you know what? If there was anybody in the world that needed to give birth to God's son, that's the one. There's probably multiple people fitting into the characteristics of, of, of Mary, maybe not geographically, but in terms of just her character. So that's not necessarily what we're focusing on here. And so what really happens here is that when when Mary is kind of just living her life that is rather a pretty average life, out of nowhere, in the beginning of our text, an angel barges into a room and greets Mary. Now, for everyone here reading a Bible story, that's like NBD. You're just like, yeah, angel, whatever. But if an angel came in here right now and looked at you in the face and was like, what's up, your name? You would need new underwear. It it wouldn't have been something that was like, oh, yeah, cool. This would have surprised, shocked, and really made you feel like, oh, my gosh. It would have left you scared. So no wonder Mary's a little bit fearful when this happens. But in addition to that, the, the angel comes and he gives a greeting that's very unique and very special in this context. He says, Mary, God bless you, you favored woman. Then he says, the Lord is with you. And in this context, this would have been actually very unique and very special would have been very scary because this specific statement is one that the Lord has used through angels that communicate his will or in him actually interacting with people to denote that you are about to go on an adventure. In Abraham's life, the Lord is with you. You're fixing to have a baby and your oldest dirt, the Lord's with you. Okay. Right? Isaac, I mean, uh, Jacob, Jacob, you're a deceiver right now. You're about to get made into a new man, have 12 babies and establish the 12 tribes of Israel. The Lord's with you. Right, this kind of thing. Moses, you're about to go back and have the the Pharaoh release all of the slaves in Egypt. You're going to send them on their way, and they're going to be come to a promised land. The Lord's with you. Right, this is a pattern in the Bible where when she heard that, the automatic thought would have been, man, you know what? I'm fixing to go on an adventure. And that's a little scary. Uh, One of my absolute favorite, so I've recently, I almost absolutely, recently I've gotten into the world of Lord of the Rings. Don't judge me, just just stop now. Um, (laughs) 
But as I've gotten into this, this world, right, I went back to the first book, and it's called The Hobbit, and not the first book, but like the, the prelim book. And uh, I started to pick up certain things, like that this, this character Gandalf is a wizard, and when he's present, he embodies the fact that adventure is fixing to happen. It's like, this is a man, when you see him, you're like, oh, like something's fixing to go down, <laughs> right? And so what happens is Gandalf shows up in this quiet town with this young hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins lives a quaint life in a quaint house in a quaint little village. But when Gandalf comes around, he knows he's fixing to go on an adventure. And the summary of the story is this is a story of how Baggins, a Baggins, a quaint little pleasant fellow that's pretty boring, had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. When Mary looked at this angel and this greeting was, the Lord is with you, she understood I'm about to get thrust into an adventure. And I'm most certainly going to do things that are rather unexpected. And so like anybody, like you, Mr. Baggins, myself, any one of us, she responded with a lot of concern, which she was just scared. She was just fearful. All right, so we go back to Luke, and in verse 29, it, uh, 29 says, but she was deeply troubled by this statement. Why? She was about to get thrown into an adventure, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And this is precisely where our cultures are going to begin to defer, and we're going to need to look deeper into what it means, because when you hear that, and when I hear that, our natural ears are going to hear that means I'm going to be blessed, and more than likely in our culture, I'm going to define that blessing through uh, monetary or uh, the, the means of something tangible, right? And I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to get a new car, I'm going to get blessed with a fat uh, you know, bonus at work. I'm going to get them good gifts, right? I'm going to get those, those super good gifts this Christmas, right? I'm going to... Um, and like I said, I mentioned earlier, even if it's not, you're not caught up in the materialistic aspect, you're going to start thinking your family, these kind of things. And so I'm not sure Mary understood it that way or she didn't, but what I do know is that the very next statement would have thrown everything into a whirlwind. You have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, but I'm not married. I'm betrothed. And if I have a son now, people are going to throw that shade at me. People are going to look at me and go, harlot. My, my fiance, my, my betrothed, my, my future husband, he might leave me. In fact, very worst case scenario, people might stone me. They might kill me. So what is the favor that you've actually communicated I'm supposed to have here? And the angel, I'm sure, seeing and understanding that Mary needs some reassurance, goes on to say, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus means God saves. My name, coincidentally, also means God saves. I'm not saying I got the same name as Jesus. I'm just saying we share something in common. Um, (laughs) He will be great. He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Almighty. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In any other context, Mary sitting here right here as a Hebrew girl that's had her Sunday school time would have heard this and said, man, I think I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. 
And we could literally spend weeks in that little chunk of text that I just, just read. We could spend weeks there deciphering what that means about Jesus. And I mean, it would be glorious. And maybe we'll do that soon. But for right now, focusing on Mary, it seems that when she heard that, she still didn't have a sense of like, yippee, right? Even though in any other circumstances, more than likely Mary would have looked at him and like, I'm so excited. I'm going to have the Messiah. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. But still, in this fear and timidity, her response to this notion is Mary asked the angel in verse 34, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with the man? Right? Mary's still in this place of doubt, fear, right? And that's okay. It's really not going to stop God. So regardless of her timidity, the Lord's going to keep moving, but he is going to provide her an assurance, and this is where things get really spectacular, The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I want to stop here for a second because you, in the Christian faith, as a part of it, you know, placing your faith in Jesus, being a Christian, if that is in fact you today, need to know that this story of a virgin giving birth in this matter is absolutely unique to Christianity. You, if you're on campus, you might have heard someone be like, oh yeah, Jesus is just the retelling of a story of X, Y, and Z. Poppycock, nothing there. Nothing, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to say a funny word, but there's nothing there. If you ask someone, prove it, and they're going to take you to a YouTube video of some guy sitting in his living room just saying it. That's not proof. There's no actual, literal, textual proof of that anywhere. And in addition to that, the way this story unfolds is absolutely unique to the history of Christianity. The Holy Spirit, Mary, on your body, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and it will brace and prep you for creation the way the Holy Spirit moved on the land in the beginning of time. Prepping it, preparing it for what God was about to do in it to create something beautiful. And the power of God will overshadow you, sending her back to the tabernacle in the wilderness when the glory of God would flood over and overshadow the tabernacle. And in that moment, God's full glory was in the tabernacle and only one man chosen by God, Moses, would be able to enter and be in God's presence. And so in this moment of creation right here where where we see the human nature of Jesus uh, being prepared by the Holy Spirit in his creative work, and then God's divine nature, his power, his glory coming in and overshadowing, we see this unique combination, which in Christianity we call a hypostatic union. That's a seminary word, throw it away. What you really need to worry about is that God's divine nature meets with Jesus' human nature, all God, all man. And this holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. And even if Mary in that moment had thought, that sounds impossible, the angel says, and consider your relative Elizabeth. 
Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For what you think is impossible with God, nothing will be impossible with God. And at this point, Mary, she's done. She's like, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. That's a lesson in discipleship and moving with God in and of itself. But I'm sure after that, it would have been scary. Because as we mentioned, this isn't favor how we necessarily process it. She's about to go tell her family, who's going to give her, like I said, the shade look. Then she's going to tell Joseph, and Joseph is probably going to want to divorce her. And then, uh, let's just take it from here, right? If she moves forward in all of these things, but the unique, in all these instances where moving forward is going to be scary, we see God make a way. Right, so she tells the people, hey, you know, she tells the village, right, like I'm pregnant. God gives her the strength to get past that. But then Joseph is like, I'm going to quietly divorce this woman because this ain't my baby. And then God shows up to Joseph and he's like, Joseph, that baby's from me. Name him Jesus. Praise be to God. Joseph comes back and he's like, I'm down. So God (laughs) makes a way. God makes a way right here in Mary's life and Joseph's life. He makes a way. After that, the fear that, that Herod is going to kill all of, the, all of the innocents, all of the young children in the land, God comes to Joseph and says, take your baby to Egypt. Each time something bad happens, in fact, God makes a way. In fact, it would have been Mary's observation, yes, you know what, I, I think God is with me, in fact. The favor that was talked about and God being present in my life didn't mean and negate that rough things wouldn't happen, but that in fact, in those rough things, he would be present and he would make a way. As she looked at her life, I'm sure she began to observe that God had made a way. And I'm sure she stored a lot of these things in her heart, but there was a there's one, one instance when Jesus is a baby that I wonder if she stored in her heart uniquely. On the, uh, on the day when they took Jesus in to be circumcised and presented, there was a man named Simeon in the temple. And Simeon was faithful to God, and Simeon had in fact been promised that he would not die until he saw the Messiah and saw the salvation. And the moment Mary and Joseph walk in, Simeon says, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother, Mary and Joseph, were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And then he said something to Mary that I'm sure stuck in her crawl for quite some time. And a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Uh, The Bible has this pattern of Mary tucking things into her heart keeping them in her heart regarding Jesus. And I relate to this perfectly. I mean, my, my wife's uh, seven and change pregnant, and, uh, and we're about to have a daughter. And man, anytime I think about her future, I just get so riled up. I think about those things, I just store them in my heart. 
Someone prayed over our family recently and said, man, I pray that this girl would never, ever remember a day that she was not captivated by the love of God and his mercy at the cross. And I was like, man, I hope so too. I took that and I hid it in my heart and I just anticipate and hope that day comes. Mary was given so much more than that. Constantly told that her son, this boy, would redeem his people, reign forever, caused the rise and fall of many. And as life proceeded forth, I'm sure she went back to those moments and pulled from them in reflection saying, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. When he was a young man, Jesus, a young man in the temple, blowing people away with his teachings about God, I'm sure she was like, I I know. I know. I, I heard the angel say it. I went through the times that God revealed himself in angels or in appearances to, to me, to my husband. And when she started hearing things like the deaf see, the lame walk, dead or being raised from the dead, it was no surprise to Mary that Jesus was the one responsible. There's a song right that goes, Mary, did you know? She absolutely knew. Absolutely. But the song's using a device to ask us if we know. Do, do I know that he's the reason for those things? And I'm sure that all of this was really captivating to Mary, right? Filling her heart with pride. It's still her son. He, he, he's still her son, Mary, the son of Mary, but the son of God. And all this time passing by, I'm sure she was excited until the day when someone barged into the house and said, Mary, someone has uh, arrested Jesus. And I'm wondering where Mary went back to pull from the times she went and saw the shady court proceedings and then watched her son, her firstborn son, uh, beaten and flogged. And I question whether Mary in her heart asked, where is the favor God promised me now? And when he was spit on and ridiculed, I wonder if she looked at the scenario and questioned where this favor was located now. As she watched her son, as they put a cross on Jesus' back and marched him toward Golgotha, the place where he'd be crucified, as she wondered where that favor was now. And as she knelt down in front of the cross and watched as her son, who she had accepted, this path the Lord had brought her on and risked everything for this child. As she watched this now child into a man pierced with nails through his wrists and nails through his feet, erected on a cross and then put on display for everyone to ridicule, to watch. And every gospel account narrows her kneeling there and watching it happen. I wonder where this Mary was deriving her hope from. And I wonder if she questioned where that favor was. Was it all supposed to end right there? Was this the moment that Simeon talked about with a sword piercing her soul? Because I'm sure it didn't feel comfortable or good to watch her son beaten, bruised, and killed. But uh, I think like a lot of things, That depends on how you define favor. Because when we go back, all those years later, over 30 years later at this point, to 
to this moment when this angel looks at Mary and says, you have found favor with God. How we interpret it is definitely favor, yes, absolutely. But what the angel said is much different than you will be favored. The literal word used here is the angel in Greek said, you have found grace with God. You have found grace. Meaning I have afforded you grace to get through the upcoming season, yes, but also I really do believe in this moment Mary was maybe the initial receiver of grace that was going to be brought forth by her son. And in fact, this moment of torment and sorrow that Mary was experiencing at the feet of the cross, where a lot of us would look at it and question, where has this favor gone? This moment was actually the favor that was promised to her and promised to you and promised to me. This would actually be the moment of grace that Mary would receive, that the child that she gave her all for was now the man on the cross giving his all for her and for me and for you. Undoubtedly, this would be a moment where Mary's soul was pierced. I don't doubt that. But how much joy would Mary have had three days later when she looked at that tomb and there was nothing? How much joy would she have had when the Lord began to declare the Lord Jesus that now he had made everyone right with God, those who would believe. The favor that Mary was promised during that Christmas season, right? And and debatable whether we were lining up exactly to the month, but still this time where we celebrate these times, we celebrate during the season the birth of our Christ, the birth of our Lord, that Mary seeing the favor promised to her was not quite what it looked like, but in fact was the fact that this child that she gave birth to was going to live a life that she couldn't live and that I couldn't live and that you couldn't live. And this son of God was going to live a life that was perfect and indeed had every warrant for every blessing, for every favor that could have imagined, you know, that could have been possible in the earth. And he gave his life, taking on the sin of the world, Jesus, and taking the punishment we deserved in our sin, the times that we've disobeyed God, the times that Mary had disobeyed God, the times that I had disobeyed God, the times that we had disobeyed God in this place. When he took that sin on himself and he hung on that cross and his mother knelt down right in front of him, this would be the embodiment of the favor that God had promised to Mary, that her life and all those who would place their faith in Jesus and repent of their sins would be made new and be given peace through this Jesus, be given peace with God through this Jesus. I'm sure her joy was unimagined when she went to that tomb some days later and saw it empty. But as she watched the glory of her son as he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of glory forever and ever and to have the angels cheer and cry out and exclaim his name in his glory forever. I'm sure her joy was restored. 
And I'm sure she knew exactly the favor that was given to her that day. And as some time passed and she started seeing Peter get up and declare who her son was and 5,000 people come to faith, I'm sure that in that moment, the favor was made more real. I'm sure that she began to see numbers and, and this message of Jesus begin to spread throughout all the land. Her definition of favor would have been reaffirmed. And, and she saw lives changed. And I'm sure if she would have been in here and seen all of our lives changed, through the life and the work of her son, that, that it would be a, an affirmation of what the favor promised to Mary was. Uh, during this Christmas holiday, uh, it's Christmas season, Advent season, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be temptations from left and right for you to define your life by a multitude of other things. Uh, whether it be, like I said, that you get all the presents, that you buy your kids all the right presents, that you have the car, that you do the this, that you do the that, uh, that your grades are right, that your grades are good, that you're on the dean's list, that you're not, that you get into the grad school, that you don't, that you get into the college, that you don't, your life is probably going to be bombarded with every expectation, and they're going to label that, the world, excuse me, and everything else is going to label that favor. And I'll be honest, some of us are going to get those situations, some of us aren't. Some of us are going to have the really nice, cush Christmas season where everybody's at home and there's no drama, and some of us aren't. But every person who's come to faith in Jesus can rest assured in any of those moments that they are loved by God and that they are whole in Him. And that whether we go through ups, downs, he is with us. In fact, through his life, we have been given peace with God. And now we hope in God's glory, according to Romans 5. And now, in fact, we walk through things like hardship. And we walk through tribulations. And we don't just walk through them. But Paul would say we glorify in them. Why? Because we've been made whole in this Jesus. And then he says at the bottom, because the love of God has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. You in here and me in here, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, no matter what this upcoming season holds, man, you have favor. You have favor through the living Son of God, the Son of Mary. And I hope in this upcoming season, you would look at your life and define your life by those measures, by the favor found in this Jesus, not what a commercial tells you. And that after this season, when the hardships come, you would measure your life favorably through that means, through Jesus and not through the afflictions that are going to come later. Uh, as we close up today, I know that there's some people in here who, who hear what I say and they're like, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. And I want to continue measuring my life, having that favor, that Jesus loves me and that he has given his life for me. And I've placed my faith in him. I'm made whole in him. And you want to keep living that life, I'm going to pray today that you would absolutely stay faithful and keep trucking at that. 
But then there are some of us in different camps. And maybe at some point we have placed our faith in that Jesus, but life in and of itself, in its afflictions and its hardships, has shaken that foundation. And now, because of the evidence of our life, according to us, we now question whether that favor still resides in our lives or if it doesn't. But today, maybe you hear what I'm saying and you're like, you know what? I want that favor again. I want that assurance that Christ died on the cross for me in love for me. And now I walk through my life whole. I glorify, in fact, in my heart just because his love has been poured into my heart. And then there's a third camp of individuals who have never had that experience before in your life. And maybe right now you're going through the good things or maybe right now you're not. But you know that you want something more than that. And that's this favor we discussed today. This favor that declares we've been made righteous through the gift of Jesus. The gift of his life and his death and his resurrection. So regardless of what camp you're in, I want to pray today and then we're going to close up. And I hope that we can take, define, and extract the favor that we use and experience from this place, from this Jesus. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you have given us new life. Uh, Thank you, God, that you, uh, even when you sent that angel to Mary, you had every understanding of what favor and what grace was going to be delivered to her and what grace was going to be delivered to us. You, Lord, in your infinite wisdom, saw from the very beginning in Adam's failure to the very end, in moments where we ourselves failed, we ourselves committed sin against you, we ourselves disobeyed you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and you knew to make us whole, to affirm your love for us, you would display it by sending your son, that you so loved the world that you sent your son, and that through him we have peace with you, God, and through him now we are made whole through you, Jesus. So today, for those who are, whether they're far away or they're close, uh, I pray that those who hear this favor, hear of this favor, hear of this grace, their response today would not merely be a prayer to say they accept you, but they would wake up tomorrow and pursue you with fervency, God. That small groups would become a thing that they pursue in order to know you more. That opening the Bible to see who you declare yourself to be would be a highlight in our day. That seeking you in moments of prayer would become fruit and life-giving in our lives. In short, God, that you would make us alive with you and set our heart on fire with affection for you and love for you and a desire to exalt you, Jesus, above everything else, including the moments where we're afflicted. Because the favor we received is a favor that we could not buy on our own, but a favor that could only be purchased through you, Jesus. Love you, we thank you, pray these things in your holy name, in the name of Jesus, amen.